0: Jesus, the Son of Man, bore all the sin of the world. All of it. Past, present, future. All of it. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be here bringing the word today. Thank you, worship team. What wonderful job. Yes. We yes. commend you on your efforts and your just leading us into that. Place that God has got for us, so thank you. Um, we've been talking about lots of things, I guess, but <laughs> you know, really, the Lord is focused on us that it's it's a harvest season, and I, and I I think I know what that means a little more clearly as we keep pursuing what that actual direction that that God has got for us, the actual path that He has us walk down, Lord. Um, We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) So, Father, we we just you know um, we've been going through this series and through a book of Ephesians, and we really learned through the first three chapters that of who we are in Christ, who we are, what what we what God has brought to us, what the the Word of God has to say about us. You know, Paul's revelation of that whole being in Christ. You know, it's a whole different dimension that he's brought to us. You know Jesus talked about it a lot, but Paul really highlighted it and brought it to our attention. Um, you know and we went through the book chapter four of Ephesians and it really we, we took that whole book and we contrasted what it was to be old man and the new man, or like I said last week, it was what it was before unity or after unity or before Christ or after Christ. You know, but we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and we're going to start at verse 1. Paul makes this pretty bold statement here. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You know, he told us what it's like to be in Him, the benefits of it. He laid out this pl- glorious plan of grace. And then in chapter 4, he says, you know what? But there's a little, here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's where you once were. And he kind of comes back and forth. And then he says, but he says, therefore. I know I've shared a lot about this, but every time I see one of them words that connects something, therefore, because, but, since. I mean, I can keep going on. But those, those things connect two things together. Paul's saying, therefore, but the, the word therefore really kind of points back, because of what I just said, be imitators of God. Mm-hmm. Well, what did he just say? Let's go back and review. He says in, in verse chapter four, verse 32, he says, and be kind to one another, tender hearting, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Because God has given up, forgiven us, I'm going to make a clarifying here. It doesn't say that, he did not say that God said he had forgiven you. He said that God has forgiven you. Yes. There's a difference. Yes. Right? If I tell you that Vern said this secondhand, he said, I th- I'm going to tell you, Vern did this. Makes a whole different a whole different thing. God has forgiven us. Therefore be imitators of God as children. Romans eight twenty nine and thirty says, For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. God has called us to be imitators of him. Which in turn means that we can be imitators of Jesus because God and Jesus are the same. The scripture says that Jesus was the full representation of the Godhead. Full everything that you saw Jesus done did is what God or the Holy Spirit would have done. When we know who God is, if we're supposed to, if we're supposed to be imitators of God, we need to know who God is and what He does. And we have an example for it. It's all over in the Word. Look and see. I don't have, I'm not going to break into a big discourse about what God does because there's a lot. right? Hallelujah. But here's what, he, here's what Paul says. He, Paul really, he really kind of just hammers this home in one simple statement. He says, if you want to be an imitator of God, verse 2 says, walk in love. Yes. Amen. You want to be an imitator of God. You want to do what Christ did. What would Jesus do? We've heard, we've heard all those stories. It's walk in love. as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, walking in love, what does it look like to walk in love? Paul just told us. Actually, I want to back up. Because God has forgiven us, we need to and can walk in love. When we receive the forgiveness that God has Already paid for at the cross. We sang about the cross all day today. When we when we have this revelation that it was taken care of at the cross, we can walk in love. We can walk in freedom. We can walk in victory. We don't have to live in the past. He came to set us free. Because God has forgiven us, we need to imitate that and walk in love. But he tells us how to do it. John 3.16, I know we all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him might be saved. Right? You want to walk in love? Paul in Ephesians says an offering. Walking in love, he gave himself. He, Jesus gave himself an offering. God gave his only begotten son, an offering. An offering for sin. We, we don't need to live that sin nature anymore because Jesus has taken care of that. We can do the same thing. We can forgive. We can walk in love. We don't have to harbor hard feelings against anyone. Actually, if, if, if you actually do that, you're keeping yourself in bondage. Yes, yes. You're locking yourself in change and saying, I'm stuck in this way that I'm not going to forgive. You want to be really scary about it? The Bible says, "Those who, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Yes. Now that's a scary thought. I don't know that it's... Yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Again, so why? Walk in love. Why? What's so powerful? What's so important about it? What's this? Why does Paul keep saying that when you, you know, if you look all the way through chapter four, he said, walk this way. Walk this, Don't walk this way. Now he's telling us to walk in love. There's got to be something about this walk. Right? Yeah. It is. It's is. It's it's your life. It's It's the path that God has got you on. You know, there's been times in my life when I can run. Not many, but there's been a few times that I ran. <laughs> Not recently. Um, <laughs> but the, the the term walk has a lot of things to it. It's sustainable. It's it gets you from where you need to go, from where you are to where you need to go. Um, it's a you know, the scripture talks about life being a journey. So you take you um Jeremiah says you you take your steps and God directs your path, right? So as we move, as we walk, as we follow God, he's going to lead us this way, that way, this way, however it needs to be. And again, it says paths, not path, paths, because sometimes there's more than one place as God has got you. But why do we do this? What's, the, what's so important about this? What's the key foundation of love? What, what, why, why is it the utmost thing? You know, In love and unity, they go back hand in hand. You can't have unity without love. So, you, 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 But why? You know what? I know the Bible has an answer. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40 says, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these two commandments, on these two commandments, hang all the law and prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is a picture of what it looks to walk in love. This is, it's loving your neighbor. It's loving God, right? I'm not saying this is the answer to the question I just asked because we'll get there in a second, but this is a picture of what it looks like. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I've heard, Many people talk down about themselves and say, Well, I'm not lovable. Um, you can only love to the amount that you've received love. But the scripture says that God has loved, the reason we are, uh, I'm not going to quote it right. Excuse me. We love because he first loved us. There we go. <laughs> Come on, right. Um, so the amount of that we receive, but here there, there's a key. We can only love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Now, that, that love isn't selfish, right? It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's the love that Jesus is, that God is talking about in um, John 3, 16. It's laying down your life for somebody else. Are you willing to give up something for somebody else? That's what love looks like. Vern quoted us a scripture this morning. It fit right into, you know, if you've done this to the least of them, my brethren, you've done it unto me, Right? But we need to love ourselves, too. We have to have that understanding. Because if you don't have an understanding that you're important, that you're called, that you're glorified, that you're justified, what we just read in the Scripture, if you don't have that understanding, that foundation to stand on, you can't love anybody. Because you can only love, love your neighbor as you do yourself. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to love anybody else. And a huge part of that love is The reason God poured out his love and sent his son was so that we can be forgiven. Right? Now think of this in a different context. We need to realize that we are loved so that we can forgive ourselves. Paul, in verse, again, I'm back to Ephesians, says in verse 2, he says, An offering and a sacrifice to God. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, love isn't about getting. It's about giving. God so loved that he gave. Christ came to serve. When we walk in love and use Jesus as an example because of his great love towards us. We walk in love not because God said to, it is because he demonstrated that love towards us. Now, I don't want to diminish the command of God to love. That's not what I mean. But when when, when you really, 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 really want to know what it means to walk in love, learn to see how he demonstrated that love and understand the implications of what he did for us on the cross. Jesus, the Son of Man, bore all the sin of the world, all of it, past, present, future, all of it. Right? If you want to re- go into, um, uh, I'm not going to De- Deuteronomy 26 and read the curse of the law. You want to talk about horrific, horrific punishment to bear all that curse. The Scripture says that He be- became a curse for us. Yes. Right? And He said that His He was marred beyond recognition, right? I don't think they're talking about the whipping that he got, right? If you had every curse of the law placed on you, you wouldn't even know that you were human. Mm The scab, the itch, all these things that came upon you, you wouldn't even look like a human being. Jesus bore all that on the cross, You know, we walk in love not because God said so. It is because he demonstrated that love towards us. He did something. His words were not just words. They had power behind them. Because he did something about it. Because of this, all because of the, what I just talked about, all because of this is why we want to walk in love. We want to walk in love because of what Christ did for us. John thirteen forty five, and here's another reason. 13, verse 34, John 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now here's the key. You want to know why we walk in love? This is why. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have one for love, love for one another. You know, the world will see that. The world is going to see walking in love because that's what they really desire. People desire to be loved and they will see that and they will recognize that and they will be drawn to it. We walk in love and unity so the world will know whose we are. And then they will be drawn into the family because of how we treat each other, right? Our love demonstrated between each other is an example to the world. I think about marriages, right? How they can be so powerful in the kingdom because they demonstrate the love. They they demonstrate love. Or they should, at least I should say. <laughs> we 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 pray and believe that they do. But they're they're a demonstration of what it is to walk in forgiveness, what it is to walk in understanding of who each other is, and understanding of how each each of us is different. Um. Because love is our makeup, not our thing that we put on that we wash off every night. It's the it's the it's the makeup it's who we are now we are love now we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to step into these things that Paul's talking about in verse 2 and 3 you know i don't spend a lot of time most of the time talking about and teaching about and focusing on what we shouldn't do we, can, we it, it's not that it's not unintentional but it's there's there's some reasoning behind it um, if we focus all of our energy on what we shouldn't do, we'll actually start to do those things. You actually become what you think on if you If you're so focused on not sinning and not sinning and not doing this and not eating too many cookies and not <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with that but <laughs> but if you focus on that and that is your attention, you get drawn to that because that's what you're saying. Proverbs 3, 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. When we meditate and we think about evil and we focus on those things, we focus on the works of darkness, and we say, Oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, and I can't do this. And I we don't have the right perspective. We have a wrong perspective it actually start to turn you in that direction. We need to be aware of it. I'm not saying we shouldn't be aware of it, and we're going to talk a little bit about today, but I don't do this very often. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what Paul says we should not have any partake of. We need to be aware of it so we understand something. Here's what I want to get to. Proverbs 4:23, 20 23 says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in your midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Right? If the stuff that you're feeding your heart and your mind and your soul with is all negative, and it's all evil, and it's all stuck in the law, if I if I gotta go that route. I I don't like to say that. Instead of being stuck in the liberty and freedom that Christ brings us, right? If we focus on the negative, we're not gonna get anywhere this way. That's why I teach almost all the time. You've noticed it's all about exhortation, encouragement. This is who you are. This is what the word says about you. Right? We don't it's it's foolish not to talk a little bit about this stuff, but I don't want to focus on it. And there's a reason. We'll get there. Paul is imploring us to walk in love and then he gives us an example of what not walking in love looks like. In Ephesians 5, verse 3 and 4, he says, But fornication and uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. You know this whole list that Paul is going through here, he's really talking about sexual sin. fornication. it's a really a broad word that means and describes sexual sin. Uncleanliness is another broad word for dirty moral behavior especially in a sexual sense. Filthiness which has much the same idea as uncleanness, uncleanness and then coarse gesturing which has this idea of inappropriate, impure sexual humor, humor excuse me. Um, this theme of moral appeal, I guess is what, Paul, is what I, I wrote. It, it, it isn't saying avoid these things that you can be a saint, right? Rather it's saying you're a saint now. You're part of the kingdom of God. You've been adopted into his family. You are created a new man you or woman in the image of God. Right? We don't need to partake of these things anymore. We can, I'm free of this. But rather, it's a constant, I'm sorry. You're a saint, and I'll live in a manner fitting for a saint. The constant moral appeal of the New Testament is simply this. This was a profound statement I read. You want to change your life. You want to change who you are and how you think? This will do it right here. Be who you are in Jesus. Yes. Paul talks about covetous, foolish talking. Paul also includes covetous and foolish talking in the list because of their close association with sexual sin. You know, I thought that was a really interesting comment I read. Um, it really, when you look at covetousness and foolish talking, it really is the desire to have something that's not yours or you can't have. Right? When A lot of the sexual sin they're talking about in here is, I want something that... Am I going to get ahead of myself? Yep. <laughs> I'd have to skip four pages of stuff, so... It's a desire to have something that doesn't belong to us. And foolish speaking have led many people into sexual sin. So when you have that innate that desire to have something that you're not supposed to have, that can lead you into places you don't want to go. Foolish talking is really an it's in the In the context it's uses is an idea the idea of the one who can turn every conversation into a joking comment on sexual matters, usually of a double meaning we, we, we you know Paul says not to have any partake of this so James compares you know and why why so we're talking about I just was talking about foolish talking i why am I focusing on this a little bit because James tells us the tongue is like a ship's rudder, right? It's, it's that little member that can steer this great big ship. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever studied ships or what, but if you go up to the Great Lakes, they have them huge ore containers. They're hundreds of feet long. They carry hundreds of, ton, hundreds of thousands of tons of material. And the rudder is about 10 foot by 10 foot square. And that whole thing directs the ship. job it's not even a motor it's just a stationary thing that goes like this and turns back and forth it it it, i always think of the the ship's rudder kind of like the thing that catches that directs the wind but it's actually the water we can kind of do the same thing if we catch that rudder we can direct and move um but it steers that big ship our tongue has that that's why paul's saying you know what be careful about this stuff All right, back to Ephesians 5.5. He 5. says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know, the people mentioned in Ephesians 5.3, the fornicator, the unclean person, the covetous man, they have no inheritance in God's kingdom. It, it, but here's what, here's what it really means. And I, I don't want to say that they're not saved, right? We can, get, we can get into this context. Um, I'm going to get there. Give me one second to finish this. I'm going ahead of myself. I'm getting too fast. <laughs> um, the, if the kingdom is alive in them, right? This is what Paul's kind of saying. He says, if the kingdom of God is alive in them, a transformation has occurred so that they, can, they cannot resist rest, I'm sorry, in the habitual practice of these things, right? If, if Christ, the hope of glory, is in you, you're not going to practice these things. You're going to stay shot, you're going to turn away from them. Right? We can get so crazy about this idea in this co- thought of a context um, in a condemning way, right? It's like one might say, well, I've, had th- I've th- thought about that beautiful g- girl that I saw. Right, I had this, this unclean thought about her. Um, so that means that I've been part of fornication, and that I... Now that I've been part of that, I have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And, but, <laughs> and since I'm guilty of that, I'll have no inheritance. And then um, you, you can go on and on and on and on. It really kind of, this is hard for me to say this, but this really is deceptive thinking and goes against the plain sense of God's word because you can be forgiven. But those, those things will come at you. We have to be very careful about this. Paul writes in um, a couple of his letters, and here's what I want to make sure that we understand. It's the habitual practice, right? Those thoughts are going to come at you because where do they come from? What's that? Yeah, they're they're, going to be there, right? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and a voice of no other they follow. So that stuff's going to come. Those doubts, those... However you want to look at that stuff's going to come at you, and you can just say, you know what? I'm in Christ. He's my Savior. I'm going to get to a point where I show you why this is so dangerous, the stuff that they're talking about, why it's so dangerous to walk down these roads. I want to repeat this again. It says, if God's kingdom is alive in you, a transformation has occurred, and you cannot rest in the habitual practice of these these things, um, Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. You know, Paul had this great revelation about deception, I think. Covetousness, idolatry, fornication, foul language. All that stuff is all they are is a deception. They're a lie. What happens is people use all those habits, all those things that they're talking about as a replacement for what God has already said and done. If you have a covetousness in your heart, you're not believing God for provision. If you say, I need this, I have to have this, you're not trusting God to provide what you need. Um... I'm going to share a little bit about this because it's um, part of some of our family culture from the past, but hoarding, right? I know I'm I'm kind of going off on a different thing we're not talking about, but we're talking about coveting is hoarding, right? It's really going, you know what? I don't trust God. I need to save it. I I just had this flashback to the Lord of the Rings because I heard somebody quoting something from the Lord of the Rings earlier. My precious... My precious, my precious, right? That's contrary to scripture because the scripture says that my God shall po- provide all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to believe his report? Or are we going to believe how we feel inside? Now, there's times that God has you set stuff aside for reasons, and I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is unnecessary um, keeping a treasure, where God says, release this, you know. It really, I've also experienced this in, I'm going to say in ministry and in um, life, but there's a spirit of poverty where, you know what, it's good enough. You know, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just make do with what we have. And sometimes we have to do that. I don't want to get on a tangent point. But we should really be, believe in God for something bigger every time. Right? And how many times have we seen God provide? I'm going to share a story about Cheryl and her refrigerator, right? <laughs> her refrigerator, our refrigerator. She, We were talking about, a, we sat back there one Sunday and said, we, we should really get a fridge. I, I don't know if it was me, you, and Teresa or whatever. And we didn't even pray about it. We were just having this conversation about, we should look at a fridge. And so Cheryl's like, okay, I'll go see if I can find one. She went on Facebook and she found a fridge for, what, 85 bucks or something, I believe. I might get my numbers off a little bit. And so she sent the guy a message and said, how close to $50 will you come? $40, whatever it was. And the guy came back and said, well, I'll give it to you cheaper than what you actually asked for. You know? Didn't even ask, didn't bargain back. He says, well, if if you're asking $45, I'll, I'll give it to you for $40. I think that's what it was. It's like Okay, God, thank you. And we didn't even pray about it. We were just having this conversation. You don't think God was present in the room? You know? Who are you going to trust? I mean, but having that spirit of poverty is like, you know what? God doesn't, we don't need that. We can, we can get by. Well, yeah, you can get by, but God wants to bless us. When you, when you look at um, the word fornification, you're really, like I said earlier, you're desiring something that's not yours right? But let's let's back this up again. You're actually believing something. You're being deceived because you don't need that because God didn't give it to you, right? But you're believing something other than Scripture, right? If it's a sexual thing, our delight is in God. It's not in sex. It's not in, you know, not that we can't enjoy each other's company. I don't want to go there. But fornification in itself has this idea of covetedness which leads us back to again what we talked at: God's not your provision what about the joy of the Lord is my strength right when we partake of these things we are actually believing a lie about God and what God has said and this is a I love this quote. It was quoted by Bill Johnson. He said, When we believe a lie, we empower the liar. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You know, we don't have to believe the liar. We have the one that has truth. John eight. Says he is the father of lies. Here's what I got for you. You know what? Don't believe him. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I'm not a counselor. I'm just going to tell you the way it is. Don't believe him. Get behind me, Satan. But I can tell you that's really easy to say. Don't believe him. Right? But here's I'll give you something else. Remember we talked about earlier, don't don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on not believing the devil. Here's what I want you to do. Believe on the one that brings light. Focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Believe what he says about you, that we're saints, that we're a kingdom of priests unto his God. Believe what the Word says about you. Mm-hmm. Believe on Him who brings light. Mm-hmm. Ephesians four twenty-two through 24 We're back to Ephesians. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going back to chapter 4. I'm sorry. Ephesians four twenty through 24 says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Right, we can just take that and it's gone, and put on something new. I'm going to wrap it up here with this last um, verse, Ephesians five, verse seven. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And here's what he say. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, since we are saints, since we're forgiven. Since we desire to walk in love, since we're created in His image, don't partake. Don't have anything to do with it. Stay away from it. Right. This, and it's interesting. The word "partake" here has this connotation to it of co-laboring. You know, we we hear about co-laboring with Christ a lot, and we talk about that, right? Choose to co-labor with the one that has light, not the one that has death. Co-labor with Christ, not the powers of darkness. You know, and the best part is he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to lead us into all truth. Scripture says that if you walk in the Spirit, you cannot sin. I don't highlight any of this stuff to condemn anybody, to do anything wrong, to say any word. I'm just highlighting it to, not even highlighting it. Focus on who you are. Believe what he has said about you. Lord, we just thank you for the words today father we thank you for your encouragement we thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness and your forgiveness lord we we just come to you today as a body and we just um we just give you thanks that you have sent your son jesus to us that you you have equipped us to withstand um all the works of the evil one lord that you have given us your holy spirit that that will guide us and keep us and Father, we just give you praise today, we give you honor today, and we just give you glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.